Thanks so much for listening to No Lions Here with me, Big Panda. Hey, welcome back to No Lions Here. My name is Big Panda and I'm a recovering sex addict. All right, guys, I have a very special guest in the studio with me today. Actually, in the studio, my very first in person guest. I'm super honored to have him in here. This guy, um, we've known each other for about a little over, no, about a year and a half. Sounds R- about right. Right around there, a year and a half. Um, this man is a is a big part of my net, network, an integral part of my network. Someone that uh, I touch base with, or try to touch base with on a daily basis, um, and he has just really added a lot of value to my life. He really reminds me of myself and kind of some of the things that I'm going through. He's gone through, um, and he's kind of been able to guide me through some certain things. And um, he knows more about me than the majority of the people in my life. Um, so I just huge thank you for coming on, man. I'm really super excited to have you on. Ladies and gentlemen, my sponsor, Jeff. That was very warm. I appreciate that. Yeah, it man. is it is a, a pleasure and a privilege to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, man. I'm I'm super excited. Again, first in person. This is a big milestone for me. First in person guest. Um, so this is awesome. I met Jeff through um, SCA, Sexual Compulsives Anonymous. Um, when I was doing my <clears throat> 90 and 90, um, I was hitting some in person. Um, meetings in the city and I remember I can still remember the first meeting that you were on I remember you it was a zoom meeting and you had kind of you had come on late but I think you were at work at the time and I remember you just you had the long hair and I remember it was kind of a rough day for you um, but it was so funny because I remember I shared and and I was kind of I was probably pretty timid and pretty emotional and you just you just answered back you're like dude you are just look at you. You looking so great with that hair and that beard, and oh my gosh, and just made me feel really welcome. Um, and we had known each other for uh, probably I don't know four, five, six months maybe before I had asked you to to be my sponsor. And you know your your answer was absolutely. I'd be honored to. So um, that's just kind of like the first kind of memories that I have of you that are very fond in my mind and. Man, I'm just I'm super excited you're here. I'm really excited, man. I've been looking forward to this all day. That is that is amazing. I um I wish I could say I remember that. I've actually had that experience several times where and this just to me reinforces the conviction of how I think to do things or how I want to continue to do things. You say something, you interact with someone, and you're just authentic. I have no idea what I said that day. But it's such a gift when it comes back and it's mirrored to you, the impact that you've had on somebody. Like, oh, I was in this meeting. I walked in. I was scared to death. I have no idea what I did, what I said. But I know that they're not lying and that I had an impact on them feeling welcome. It's it's really rewarding. So I, I appreciate that. Um, it has been quite a journey. I you know, the sponsor label is, I get it, but we're fellow travelers. You are my peer. You're my friend. I love you. Uh, you know full well that we share on a daily basis. Here's my challenges. Here's where I'm crazy. Here's where I'm batshit nuts <laughs> up and down. Um, in no way do I, and you know this, do I ever think, well, I got it all together. I'm in a position of power. Let me enlighten you. You know, I'm so spiritually <laughs> developed. Um, 
we need each other and and we have each other it's it's great you help me I, I don't know it's not a contest but as much as I help you if I do in fact help you you absolutely do right. man that's why I keep you around cool um so yeah so let's let's get into it man so what what got you into recovery you know how long you've been in recovery kind of what's Jeff's story what's been kind of What's been your journey like? Just story. All right. For those of you at home, microwave some popcorn. <laughs> uh, get a five-gallon bucket of water. It's going it's to be a long night. I, I did think about this. I, I do want to lead with, in some ways, you know, we, we said a little prayer beforehand, and I, and I buy into that because I lack power on my own. My, my humanness gets in the way. Uh, we were talking before we started recording today, uh, the – the self, the ego, the humanness, um, how it just clouds things. And it's never going to go away. I, I, I accept that. I'm okay with that. But um, I do want to reiterate that that God is involved. You know, God is present here. I like to take credit. I want to take credit. You know, we, my little boy gets pretty mm-hmm. excited. I want to be a big deal. Everything's a big deal. Um, <clears throat> but I, I lead with a couple things that I think are are significant. I've, I've listened to some of your episodes and, uh, and I've listened to a lot of speakers. I've been around for a while and I don't say that like I'm some sort of guru, but I have a sponsor and that individual knows he's my sponsor. I am in frequent contact with him. I have a home group meeting. Um, I attend other meetings. I am of service and try hard to be of service and take that seriously. Uh, and I am well connected, and I am current up to this minute with multiple guys. I am blessed to have a healthy network of strong, sober men who seek, who seek improvement, who seek spirituality, who seek healing, um, and they love me enough to hurt my feelings if necessary. Uh, and they do, and I don't like it. Um, so I, you know, we we talk about making this program a way of life. It seems pretty simple, but uh, it's it's not, or it's not easy. Um, but I I think I do a pretty solid job in that day in and day out. If I can be objective, my perfectionism is chirping away, saying, "No, you don't. Mm. You could you could do more." But it's it's important to me, and hence the anxiety in talking about this because this is a real talk. This. Recovery from sex and love addiction, um, trauma work, this this is my life. You know, I respect people's anonymity and their issues around this and their participation uh, in, in fellowship, but I'm, I will talk about this. I think you and I are on the same page. I will talk about this anytime, any day with anybody mm-hmm. because it is my truth, and this is— uh, not to be too melodramatic, but it's life and death. You know, people yeah. are out there. People are out there, lost, crazy mm-hmm. as hell, hurting, and and ironically, not even knowing they're hurting, knowing something's wrong. Um, so yeah, I, I I I welcome the platform to to just discuss it. You know, um, I'm a member of. You know, Alex said. <laughs> Alex <laughs> said we we um we met in SCA. Um, that just happens to be the fellowship in my area with the most meetings that were convenient to me. Uh, I have attended SLAA meetings. Uh, I have attended SA meetings, uh, SCA meetings. There is a variety. Um, and I would encourage anybody, if you care for my unasked for two cents, to 
get involved in 12-step recovery and get involved. Don't just sit in the chair up against the wall nearest to the door. Get in and become a part of the fellowship. All these phone calls that I received today, which I'm blessed to get, um, in a perfect world, people would line up outside my door and kick it in and say, oh, you're Jeff. We heard about you. You're amazing. We're dying to be friends with you because you're awesome. But that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. I make a lot of phone calls. I go up to people in meetings, and I, I introduce myself, and I make a point to get their phone number. It's easy to say, like, here's my phone number. Call me. I don't know. I'm going on a rant. We didn't even talk about my journey yet. But now think about this. You're a newcomer. You just walked into some musty church basement uh, <laughs> with a bunch of crazy people who are, you know, your mind is telling you they're even sicker than you. Um, and some stranger comes up to you and says, here's my phone number, call me. And he's smiling and he, you know, he, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult proposition for that individual. But it changes everything when you say, can I get your phone number? And I'd like to call you and I'm going to call you. Uh, it, it, it often blows people away. You know full well, as do I, the shame and the separation that people walk in with. If you knew me, if you really knew me, there's no way in hell that you would love me much less accept me or give me the time of day. Mm. And this interaction happens after they heard a bunch of people sharing about, yeah, I masturbated till I injured myself, mm -hmm. or I was objectifying underage women at Six Flags, or whatever the hell it is, these things that to this individual could never be spoken in the sunlight. Um, and they may have the courage to speak, and then people still come up and say, well, can I get your phone number? I want to call you. I care about you. I want to get to know you. I support you. And then follow through and call them. Uh, some lasting connections that I have presently to this day are the result of doing that. And I don't say that to brag. I just, I think it works well. Mm -hmm. People seem to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> back to your question. Okay. So <laughs> it is a, it is a long, complicated answer, uh, but it's, it's my truth. and It's my story. I don't recommend this way for any, anyone out there. Um, I went to counts. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have the courage to be honest here. I'm 49. I may not sound like it. I'm you 49. You don't look it either. Oh, Alex, you don't you, look it. Either. You are so sweet. I'm 49, and and why that's relevant is I went to treatment for drugs and alcohol when I was in high school, when I was 18. Okay, so 31 years ago, if my math serves me correctly. <clears throat> and while I was in treatment, um. It came up, and I, I may be all over the map, that I was sexually abused when I was 14 years old, 14 to 16, by an, by an older man. And, uh, and I had never shared that with anyone. Uh, I believe at this point, for the record, I was well, well, well established as a sex addict. Uh, but in treatment for drugs and alcohol, which, by the way, just blew my mind. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I want to make this point that up to that moment— I incorrectly believed, because I had no tools or any sort of knowledge otherwise, that people were born, that external things bumped them in this direction or that direction. And as the years went by, they sort of were just made into whatever they ended up being made into until they died. And hearing myself said that out loud, that's pretty grim, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the empowerment and the decisiveness of like, what do I want to be today? Self-love, like, no, oh, I'm going to actualize this and that. I did not have. 
So the concept uh, was introduced to me in treatment that I could change, that an individual could change. You could start to like inventory work. I loved it. It was powerful. Um, <clears throat> the things I think that we experience when we're newcomers coming into the rooms of like, oh my God, you, I'm telling you a little bit about myself and, and it's okay. And I feel it. I'm having a, a physiological, intimate experience with this and I'm drawing closer to people. Um, so I really ran with that. And in there, it, it, I forget exactly how it came out, but I, I knew that that was a significant secret, a weight in that, that I was carrying and, and shared that. And, uh, and, and a bunch of things unfolded there, which were good and necessary. But one of the things that happened was that I went to go see a therapist, a, a CSAT at the time. Again, I'm 18 years old. And, uh, my addiction at that time, I think this was, I don't know, 1980, 90, 91, 91, 91, sorry. Wow. Pre-internet. <laughs> we had the telegraph <laughs> and the Pony Express. Um, <clears throat> anyway, this, this sexual abuse revelation came out. It was, it was, it was a big deal. Uh, I went to go see this therapist. At that point, my sex addiction, which was totally unacknowledged, was uh, daily masturbation, uh, probably four times a day, a porn stash of print, a, a stack of them, magazines. Um, and this this sex addiction therapist said to me at the time in one of the sessions, he said, well, you're a sex addict and and I think there was more context than that, but that you're a sex addict and uh, essentially, you know, you, you need to let go of all that pornography. And and I'm I'm being funny, but I'm not. I very clearly and distinctly remember thinking to myself, I don't know what I said because I'm afraid of confrontation, and I'm sure I did not speak this. But I thought to myself, no, 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 <laughs> no. I, hold on, there's a disconnect here. I'm here to talk about my being sexually abused. I don't know what this is you're talking about with sex addiction and the pornography. And uh, I say that humorously, it's not funny, but humorously as part of my story that if I had taken that, that truth at the time and run with it, mm, I, you know, I'd be sober 31 years, mm. whatever. It, you know, it is not linear. Anybody listening at home? Keep coming back. Keep coming I say back. that more than anything else. Keep coming back. This has been a ball of a, a knotted up ball of yarn. My journey, two steps forward, five steps back, seven steps forward. Um, needless to say, I didn't get that. Not to say that that experience wasn't beneficial. It was. I believe all of our experiences here, if we continue to come back, add up to eventually, God willing, a, a depth and a in a a permanence around step one. Uh, but I wasn't done yet. I had not even experienced elements of my addictive behavior, uh, and so in no way could appreciate the magnitude of of my powerlessness and the desperate quality of my need. It was, it was beyond the scope. Um, I qualify as a, as a sex and love addict. Uh, love addiction is a big part of my my story. My neediness, um, for example. Uh, and this is no judgment on anyone else. Anyone listening to this, I'm, I'm assuming you have some interest or experience in sex addiction. So you may know that w there's a lot of variations, different flavors, different behaviors for each of us. Um, I, for ex and, and further, 
I believe it's our responsibility to know our truth, to know specifically how my process works and why. That's our job. Mm-hmm. You need to know that. Yep. Initially, it seems like such a, a, a massive fog. There's no way I can ever, ever discern the patterns. But when you really put effort into it, it's really a pretty concise little wheel of, oh, yeah, there's that, there's that, there's that. This is my core need, and it's manifesting itself as this. Um, I, my addiction primarily takes the form of, uh, compulsive masturbation, pornography. Uh, I've had affairs. I've been to strip clubs, phone sex, cyber sex, uh, masturbation to the point of injury and scarring. Uh, I could, I could talk for three hours about my step one. I qualify. Let's just say that and speed things up. But a very important component for me is to be chosen. To, to be loved, mm. to be selected, okay? Uh, my addiction did not involve prostitutes uh, or strip clubs because the guy next to me, if he had more money than I did, he would be chosen. He would be selected, not me. Uh, and that that is a key. I can't stress this enough. That is a key component to what I am searching for in my addictive behavior, to fill that woman-shaped hole, that need. How that plays out in pornography and masturbation is, and this is all automatic, it is honed to like a Swiss watch perfection. This requires no thought on my part. Um, If I can't, you know, get the woman at Quick Trip to smile at me and find me charming and, you know, dashing and witty and intelligent and secretly fall in love with me, um, fantasizing that women in pornography uh, are choosing me. They're, they're being with me. They're being sexual with me. Um, now, real quick, would yeah. you say that – would you say that being chosen – so say there's a female, right, and, mm-hmm. and you're chasing after her and – you know, you're 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 putting in this work, and you're playing the chasing game, and she's kind of like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. Um, is that less powerful than, say, someone just randomly coming up to you and being like, Jeff, oh my God, you're so hot? Like, would you say that that being chosen, rant, like the being chosen part, if this makes any sense, like again, like somebody random coming up to you and being like, Hey, Jeff, I just you're, I want to worship the ground that you walk on opposed to is that more powerful opposed to like you giving chase to somebody that you find attractive oh yeah okay 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 now i would tire very quickly of that and i'll make this point too i think we've shared this that whether i acknowledge this or not or see it or not that neediness is insatiable because it's neurotic Mm -hmm. it can can never be satisfied hence the one is too many and a thousand never Mm -hmm. enough okay um Why I know this to be true around what what hits my button, okay, is I actually admit this. I've had this experience where I've had people in recovery or in my my history here, uh, I've had opportunities for emotionless, connection-free sex, and it's not appealing. I'm like, no, I don't don't really want to do that. Which even surprised even me. I'm like, that's that's kind of weird. Like something about that didn't register. Um, 
there's been a handful of times where there's some opportunity like that has presented itself, and it does not have the same impact as a non-sexual experience, but a connection that consists of a deeper emotional level. Seduction, manipulation, if it plays out and involves sexual uh, activity, great. But it is not a prerequisite at all. And again, my, my first step experiences support this. Um, what a friend of mine calls, and I'll steal it, is gooey, sticky relationships. I become enmeshed. You know, we talk, we, we hear that sex addiction is an intimacy disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I absolutely fuse and enmesh. I'm emotionally dependent on, on women, on relationships. Uh, and that external source of attention, validation, attraction, sexual intensity, all of the above, whatever falls under the umbrella through that vehicle of courtship passion. And here's where it gets confusing. This is why our rooms are not bigger is because a lot of these things, they all are. They're they're the byproducts, the very real God-given byproducts of, of relational type of interaction. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of how it happens. Healthy people out there, non-addict people are like, I went on a first date and she was really cute and we had ice cream and she held my hand. That's a mood-altering experience. Like they're floating off the ground. Yeah, right? Um, Maybe they keep that right-sized or whatever. You know, I don't don't know. Um, I am hijacked by that and can barely function if she doesn't text me later on that night at midnight or the next day or, you know, whatever. And in two days, I'm like... I love her and I want to marry her, you know, just whatever. I'm, of course, being facetious, but it's not too far off. So um, my journey has been long and hard, and uh, I've failed. <laughs> Here's the Michael Jordan line. I've failed many, <laughs> many, many times. Uh, I have. I have been I, – I, I, I haven't thought about this in a while – I went to S meetings uh, 20-some years ago, went to—I was married at the time, my first wife. Uh, That's sad when I have to qualify it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, there was was problems there. That poor woman got the worst of my my addiction. I escalated. The internet and 19—here's where I didn't even know what I brought to the party. Um, I was married— I, I could say so much. Uh, the, there's the neediness, the codependency. My first wife, uh, she liked me, and that's an, she 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 loved me. She wanted to fix me. She chose me, and I s- said, "Okay, uh, you know, all right, right on." Like I don't know that I was, you know, again, and I love this woman today. We have an amazing relationship, but I don't know that I really had that. Well, no, in fact, I I know I did not have the sobriety, the maturity the intelligence, and the tools to say, who's a good fit for me? I, I think I've joked with you before that I don't know how to date. Mm, dating yeah. is shopping. Dating is actually healthy discernment of yeah. like, do you fit for me? Okay? Not whether, do you love me? <laughs> yeah. It is It is that. Um, and, and then having the ability and self-love to say, no, actually, I appreciate that. I gave this a shot, but, you know, I wish you all good things you know, God bless, I'm, I'm moving on. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Again, 
at the time had no idea of what I was bringing to the party as far as, as baggage. Anybody out there, uh, I'm, I'm pretty active these days as well in, in ACA and a lot of laundry list characteristics. If you're interested, check it out. What is ACA? Just for uh, Sure. ACA is Adult Children of Alcoholics. But it's also a broader scope. You you could be uh, have been raised in a dysfunctional home. Whether you're, well, I can't go because my mom or dad didn't drink alcohol. Don't get stuck on that. It's, it's basically for adult people who are crazy. <laughs> and I say that playfully because like it, it's a place yeah. you can go and like, wow, I was raised in a dysfunctional home. And we can, I'll, I'll get, I haven't even talked about my upbringing yet, which is clearly, this is what, this is where I came from. Um, so when the girl in high school says, hey, I like you, let's be in a relationship. I say, absolutely. Yeah. I can't say no to that. Mm -hmm. And I ended up spending 20 years with that woman. I married her. And I, and I don't say that bitterly or with self-pity or regret. But the truth is, I see this very clearly today as the she that... Had I had the courage and the sobriety and the maturity, I would have chose not to be in that marriage a decade sooner, but there was no way I could do that. I would never say those words. I'll act out and hope she leaves me, you know, mm, yeah. uh, lacking courage to, yeah. to, do, to step up and do the hard work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she got, we got the internet. And that's when I really was exposed to the depth of my neediness, insatiable, chatting with people around the country. Now, the insanity of this, when I say it out loud, is mind-boggling. And I've listened to some of your episodes, and people that don't get this, they don't get this. Those of us who have it, I believe, will understand what I'm saying. I chatted at the time, I believe I was... I'll say 23, maybe 24. I met, I say met, a young woman, a, a child actually, 16 years old, 23, 16, who lived in the state of North Carolina. And through chatting, the stroking of keys on a keyboard, I fell in love with this woman. Or I felt I fell in love with this woman. And that's another key thing that I want to stress here is I take actions, or I have up to this point, I take actions based upon how I feel. I try not to do that today because that's, that's not to be trusted. I felt that with all the force of the universe. Like she laughs at my jokes. She sends an LOL. She, I mean, it's, it's insane to think about this at the time, but I, I was insane. I told my wife, I said, I love this woman who I had never met. I lean into the mic for emphasis. <laughs> My mother-in-law came over, took the keyboard from the house, hit it, like, talk to me. What, what are you doing? I wanted to go visit her in North Carolina. Um, I didn't have any money. At the, we didn't have any money. I said I was going to open up a credit card account, a Discover card, so I could buy an airline ticket to go and see her and meet her. And I was just driven, just rat in a cage, hitting the button for morphine or something, driven. And this is why, again, the love addiction element is incredibly powerful and arguably mm. more destructive for me because I'd never seen this woman. I hadn't sexed. I mean, we weren't sexting. There was, you know, I felt 
this, and I didn't know what else to call it. I felt it with such an intensity and a, a purity that I, I, I lazily, actually, in hindsight, I see that. It's inaccurate, but call it, like, I, just, I love this person. I can't feel this intensely for someone else and have it be anything other than yeah. love. And I don't feel that about my wife anymore because that's not new and shiny, okay? Um, <clears throat> and this was before my, my daughter was born. Um, I did not go see that woman. Uh, we separated. It was just a, a hot mess. So many consequences, so much pain. And, uh, and I, I didn't get it. Uh, I forget how that played out. I think we didn't have a computer for a while. And, and her tears or her anger moved me to some recovery actions. And that's another key piece, something I want to share. If I had a prayer for everybody out there, it is to, if you get wind of this, that you might have this, I pray, you won't, but I pray that you come with commitment, okay? And the truth is, it, it's very, it, I, I tell this to newcomers, it's really hard to get here. I'm glad newcomers walk in the door. It's really hard to come through that door. It's even harder mm -hmm. to stay. Yep. It just is. Yep. You, you know full well our room should be so big, oh, yeah. so big. Mm -hmm. So... Um, <clears throat> I lost my train of thought there. I, uh, oh, yes, coming to relieve the most recent painful uh, forms of unmanageability and consequences. And still having, and here's what's scary about this addiction, cunning, baffling, and powerful. We hear that all the time. The disconnect between powerlessness and uh, it's just a bit of a problem. Like I chew my nails and sometimes I chew them down too far and I get the quick and my fingernails hurt and sometimes they bleed and they're unsightly. But it's not really a problem. It's just more of like a nuisance. I'll put some Band-Aids on my fingers or I'll stop trying to cut my nails for a little while. But eventually they'll grow back and it'll be okay. And that's a terrible metaphor. But I've done it. I see people do it all the time. So I feel totally fine in like calling that out people coming. And bottom line is just come, put your ass in the chair. Miracles will happen, right? Yep. But coming, and here getting back to the prayer. My prayer is you come for you, whether she leaves or whether mm, she stays. Yep. Yep. My prayer is you come for you because you fucking know that you're toast, that you got this thing. And there's and there's no way out. You know, Russell Brand in his book on addiction talks, you're fucked. That's his step one. <laughs> mm -hmm. You are fucked. Okay, people, the, the denial around this behavior, I, I think, is different than around drugs and alcohol uh, for a couple of reasons. And, and let me actually qualify this with, I am nobody important. So these are just the opinions of somebody rambling. Um, <laughs> it's pretty hip to be in recovery today for drugs and alcohol. The stigma around, I've been to, you know, there's our sitcoms predicated on, I'm in recovery, and I said, it's all fine, and it's great. It really is. Oh, yeah. I have no problem telling people that I'm in, you know, a 12-step program right. for my cocaine addiction. Like, right that's, on. and people are like, oh, that's awesome. Wow, that's yeah. good for you. Go you. But yeah. then it's like, once you bring in the sex thing there, you know, you get the jokes, you get, yeah, you know, the weird looks, mm -hmm. the... What do you mean you fell in love with a 16-year-old? Yeah, yeah. Or what, do, what do you mean you you took money out of your daughter's piggy bank to go buy pornography mm -hmm. or, or hit on every one of your wife's friends? Or I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, there is a lifelong pattern 
of destruction that somehow I can disconnect from and only see the most recent little like this little example in front of my face and be like, well, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's okay. The second element, why this is very difficult, is the world that I live in, and, and we know this. Like, I am, I happen to be a, a straight guy, and, and that I love that fellowships don't give two shits about that. I'm a red-blooded, healthy American guy, and the world I live in tells me that the way I think and act, by and large, is not only okay, it is wholly supported. Yeah. It's like, I am t- totally normal. So it's very difficult to make the connection to powerlessness, you know? Yep, this um, is we're guys. This is what we do. We uh-huh. we lust after after people we don't know. We watch porn. You know, we're uh-huh. we were in, in we were you know wired to spread our seed, and that is and that I mean that's the model that we grew up with. Yeah, one hundred percent. And right it's on. like, hold on. Well, then why are there some guys that can draw that line? And not objectify that person and not give in to these unwanted behaviors. But here I am still doing these things over and over and over and over. Yeah. Or they they do the behaviors and they're not in touch with the, the, the pain. It's It still works for them. Yeah. They they yeah. have not run out of time yet. Eventually, yeah. this stops working for us, and mm-hmm. that is that is the gift. You know, when we finally come uh, to fellowship or you know therapy or treatment or whatever it is, it, clearly something isn't working seamlessly anymore. Um, anyway, I long story short, fast forward like like two decades worth of coming, not wanting to stop. Uh, not even seeing all of it. Not it. It still worked. It, it just I hadn't hit. I hadn't hit a bottom. Um, sadly, my my first step today. <laughs> I joke about this, but this is just my story. Contains elements of powerlessness around behaviors that I didn't even use or have when I first came here. Like, for for example, uh, what, what does that mean? Like, slips. I wish I could tell you, you know, my recovery has been spotless and, and slip-free, and that would be a bald-faced lie. Um, I have had experiences here in the last year with with dating apps, uh, Tinder and, and whatnot. And for they're neutral. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but in my hands, I turn any platform in which I can communicate with a woman into something I wholly, wholly lose my mind, totally lose my shit. Well, when I came to recovery with earnestness, actually, so to your question, you asked this a while back, I consider my sobriety, well, sorry, <laughs> my participation in S this time around, uh, this time around, uh, was December 5th, 2006. So it's been a chunk of time. Uh, I've been exposed to it many many times and for years before that. Uh, but that was the bottom and also an alcohol bottom. And I've been sober since then. That was my last drink uh, was December 5th, 2006. And uh, previously, I had been aware that I was a sex addict. Uh, and I'm not referencing the 18-year-old in therapy uh, conversation. But I had tried to address it through attendance in AA meetings and, and just kind of on the fringes of other other things in other ways unsuccessfully. 
Uh, and when I hit the bottom again, because I had been sober chemically previously, as I stated, uh, and it had relapsed when I moved to uh, Missouri from Wisconsin. <laughs> That's another thing I'll, for the people at home, if you're interested. It's easy to let up on any program that you're in, uh, especially when things are going well and you get mm, some separation yeah. from that last painful drink, drug, uh, acting out experience. You're like, I got it. I moved down to a different state and the meetings were different and all my friends were up there and I hadn't had a drink or a drug in I think four years. And the idea that I would never do it again was totally ridiculous to me. And uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but the slow erosion of those core principles and convictions absolutely happens. So I just say that as a reminder. It's a program of reminders. Um, but when I hit bottom that time uh, related to alcohol, I knew I also had to address my sex addiction at the same time, it couldn't be avoided, and I accepted it, and there was no argument. So the next day, I went to uh, an AA meeting, and I think that night or within a day or two, I had hit, I think, an SCA meeting. And again, back to, I, I primarily identify with SCA. It's a fine fellowship, um, but that was the fellowship that in the where and when was like, here's a meeting right here, right now, and it's close to my house. Boom. I don't get caught up on a lot of other other details. Um, so, again, I've been sober 15-plus years, whatever it is, um, from alcohol, and it's been pretty lin linear. You know yeah. what? I, I qualify as sober today because I didn't take a drink. It's pretty black and white. Cool, yeah, right? it is. Okay. Um, sexual sobriety, and you know this, is, is way different. And, and it is uh, – I do not have 15 years of sexual sobriety – uh, and and I joke about it because I'm I'm totally okay with that. It's it just is what it is. It's this is very challenging. I'm sure people know that. Um, <clears throat> so a, a lot of continuing to come back. A lot of slips. I, I tell newcomers who are discouraged because we come in with perfectionism and black and white yep. thinking, and I want the gold star. Okay, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. The to me the trauma, and I didn't know this when I first came in. It was just I just got to get some relief and separation from the acting out behaviors. I just need to stop doing this. Just don't act out. Just don't act out. Now, of course, it's not that simple. But my sponsor at the time was like, just try to get thirty days. Just try to keep coming back. Go to meetings. Get this book. Uh, we actually, you know, got the the green book, the SAA basic text. And um, and I was humbled to find out how, how difficult it is to get 30 days. I'd get four days, act out. Seven days, act out. One day, act out. 20 days, act out, you know? I, and I, I have no shame in this, I am arguably the loudest person in the room when somebody says they got a week or a day or 30 days my home group meeting is the Saturday night 5.30 SCA meeting at the Emmanuel Episcopal Church. And we have a cowbell. And I, I bang that fucker. Because I <laughs> yeah, celebrate. When, yeah, when, when people have a day of sobriety. And there's a difference between not acting out and sobriety. And that's another conversation. But it's, it's hard. It's, it's worth celebrating. It's a big deal. So, um, But there's been a lot of successes and a lot of, a lot of tripping up along the way. Uh, Learning about myself, um, I re re immense regret. I actually had an affair and left my second wife in recovery, okay? 
This was devastating to the people in my life and incredibly painful to, to me. And I don't say that selfishly. I hurt people very badly. But I share this almost as, as a warning. I was present. I was going to meetings, taking phone calls, talking to people while being consumed in this connection. And again, back to my love addiction. This was an emotional connection that was stronger, and I would, I would pay any price to engage in it and be a part of it. And I did. I, I, paid, I paid arguably you know, some of the biggest prices. Um, and the people in my life who loved me and cared about me, it was incredibly horrific to watch me go through this. And I say that, I, I need to be clear here, I, I completely own that. I, complain, I, com- I own my my decisions, my actions, and my behavior. That's all on me. I make no excuses. But I sat in my therapist's office, and he I was current with him. He knew where I was at, and he knew how dangerous it was. And he said, Jeff, we can help you. And I, and I told you this. I said to him, and in the moment, it was one of the more honest things that – I could say, um, in spite of myself, I, I was weeping and I said to him, I said, you can't help me. No mm-hmm. one can help me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I say that that's not true, but where I was at in that moment, the pull, the need of this uh, trauma bond with this individual. And again, up to that point, again, now keep in mind, I've had at that time over a decade of S recovery experience. I'm not a newcomer. I'm aware of this. I've done work. I've been involved in men's step groups. I've been, I've hit a ton of meetings. I've sponsored guys. And, and I did this. Um, and I don't know that I'm in the place today where I say, and I'm grateful because on the other side of it, you know, the, the, the highway has opened up and I'm, my roots have, tapped into new soil. But something has happened here, and God has had to do some things for me uh, <laughs> that I would rather that he did not. Um, but I had no idea the depth of some of the things that I still was carrying and operating with, operating in recovery behind the scenes until uh, this experience. Um, I can tell you that I had never, ever This is part of my story. And I I know I'm rambling. I'm I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) I had never been single ever, solitary, okay? I didn't know that that was significant until this part of the story in the last five years of my life, six years, five years. I was 16 years old, and I asked a girl who was 14 if she would go with me. I think that was the language back in the day. Will you go with me? And, uh, and here, this is, it's not funny, it's dark, but I don't know that I had any feelings for her, but she said, yes, she said, yes. And that was it. That's better than Christmas. Mm. You know, yeah. uh, the first girl that kissed me, she did it. I know this essentially out of charity. This is, this is part of my first step. I'm just rambling. And I felt euphoria. I was so grateful that so undeserving was I for a woman to kiss me, and she she did. Um, but anyway, back to never being single. So 
it, and this is this is not uncommon, but I uh, I use the creation of a new relationship to end a relationship I'm in, mm-hmm. and I just move laterally through them, never ever experiencing being alone, alone, solitary, meeting my own emotional needs. Okay, emotionally dependent on a woman for my my value, my self worth, all the above, and, and totally being asleep to this, not knowing this. Um, I was in a relationship when I met my first wife. I was married to my first wife when I met my second wife. And I was married to my second wife when I had this affair. And <laughs> I'm a slow learner, people. Um, it's it finally, and again, I, I'm kind of being playful, but it, it is what it is. And your truth is going to be your truth. The wake-up call was like, okay, all right, I'm going to abstain and just stay out here, or I'm I'm going to be solitary and experience whatever the hell comes up without being in a romantic entanglement connection, whatever. No stashes. I'm sitting here talking tonight and there's there's nothing. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And in mm-hmm. fact, it's that that language doesn't even do it justice. I've actually I'm grateful because I've I've actually come a long way, but at its worst. I, I used to describe it like I'm covered in honey and fighter ants are crawling all over me, biting me. And it's it's unbearable almost, the silence of being alone in my own mm. skin because I'm not enough and I hate myself. Mm. And there's not a more effective, powerful remedy than the affections of a woman. And that goes back to adolescence, and we can get into that later. But um, so... That kind of gets you current, I guess, in a roundabout way. Uh, today, I'm committed to sitting still and developing my relationship with myself and God. Uh, again, I'm v- I, I often lazily want to say I feel lonely when I check in with people. I feel that that the the fluorescing, the the pulsing ache of again the the woman shaped hole, the need for affection and validation. And it, the truth is, I'm not lonely. I'm not lonely at all. I, I, my phone blows up. I probably get six, ten phone calls a day and, and return them and make more. Uh, I'm very well connected. So I'm, I know I'm loved. I'm not alone, but it feels different. And for those of you out there who identify with this, if, if you're out there, you know what I mean. We joke, me and my program brothers, right? I can get ten phone calls or text messages from healthy men who say, Jeff, I got you, brother. I love you. I totally understand where you're at. I support you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you, man. And that feels nice. It's, it does. It's okay. <laughs> but those do not feel the same as a text message emoji from a woman. Yep. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm being kind of mm-hmm. playful, but like a little winky face or something that oh, I will, I will run through like, you know, a barn door. The, the power of that. And, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm a sex addict and, you know, Jeff, in our relationship and getting to know you more and in, in talking to you on a daily basis, it's really brought to my attention, the love addiction in me as well. Now, while I'm in my active addiction, I don't want emotions evolved. Involved. I want purely physical. This is physical. We're going to get done. I'm going to go my way. You're going to go your way. Or if I have to chase after you, I'm going to chase after you until I get that conquer. And then once I conquer that, ah, okay, 
on to the next one. But in in talking to you and in kind of hearing your side of the love addiction, I'm realizing now that I'm a love addict as well and that there's that fantasy of like meeting somebody new. And I, and I never thought – I thought this was just normal stuff, normal just crazy thoughts in my head of like when I meet somebody new, I immediately jump to this fantasy future. What What's her name going to sound like with my last name? You know, what are, what's our wedding going to be like? What are our kids going to look like? You know, like I put ourselves, I put me and this person that I barely know into these like scenarios in my head of like, and how are we going to, how are we going to work through this? And how are we going to work through that? And realizing that that is part love addiction and that that is absolutely a love addiction. And I can see that more and more clearly just through our interactions and making me kind of realize and look at that like, Oh wow. This is deeper than, you know, the, the sex addiction and the physical stuff. This is I'm longing for something, you know, and obviously it all goes back to our childhood, you know, what we didn't get there and that what I'm trying to get into my life now to give me that and to make me feel that instead of finding that within myself. And it's it's powerful stuff. It sure is, brother. Sure is big panda. <laughs> That is the work, you know. The inner work is it, it. That is what it's all about. And some days I often wish it was easier or led to more dramatic, faster results. It it doesn't. Mm. Again, hence they keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are days where I succumb to a little self pity, um, in that I don't feel as changed as I think I ought to be considering the length of time involved in this endeavor, okay? Uh, and and that just has to go out the window. It has to be smashed. For a couple reasons. One, I'm not objective. Uh, and that's another reason why I suggest getting a home group and, and being connected to guys because other people will see the changes in you and they'll be able to let you know, hey, no, I know that six months ago you struggled with this, or a year ago you were totally different when I met you. I know you don't see it right now, but I do. And you know they're not lying to you. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it is a, a one day at a time. Keep coming back. These nuts and bolts of recovery, you know, they apply. Um, there's definitely – I found some key differences too. Uh, I don't want to be conf- – do you want to hear? Do you want to hear some? This is awkward. Do you want to hear some adolescent stuff? You want to guide this? Yeah, yeah. Direction? I mean, dude, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Tell, tell us about uh, you know your your upbringing and kind of what what uh, what. I mean, so obviously you've you've done trauma work. So getting into recovery in the nineties, um, was there much of that trauma work around then? Because I know that that's a fairly newer model within the last 10, 15 years. When I say newer, I mean 10 Mm -hmm. or 15 years. But I know that that's not always kind of the approach or at least not necessarily in like the chemical side of things. Just kind of from my experience in some of these meetings, there's not a lot of talk about trauma work and kind of digging down to the root. And obviously, you know, with the program that I went through at BAI, you know, that it was all about the trauma. We, we're not even going to talk about your behaviors, your your addictive behaviors. We're going to talk about the trauma, and that's where we need to start. Was there any was there any of that back 
you know, when you got into the program, any of the trauma work, was that put out there at all other than like, you know, other than with the individual therapist? You know, I think it was. Here's here's the thing for me around that. I, I don't know that I can say with certainty. So like <laughs> I'm a pretty – how do I want to phrase this? I'm a pretty bright guy, mm-hmm. as many of us are, right? I'm, I'm intelligent, intellectual. Um, I have a lot of head knowledge, <laughs> and that leads to a lot of difficulties within mm. recovery, yep. okay? Physician, heal thyself. My point that I want to make with this is that I was introduced to concepts around trauma a long time ago. I, I got into therapy around my sexual abuse, Uh inner child, trauma. I've done all kinds of work around my mom and my dad, uh, my, my family of origin stuff. And, and it was valuable. It was, it's up there, okay? The, the short answer is the gap between your head to your heart mm. is um, – it's not that I didn't believe it. But until my story brought it about experientially in a way that I couldn't deny or experienced unmanageability related to this trauma, then things began to change around my my working of that. Again, it was head knowledge and then became heart action. Um, and, and again, a lot of that coincided with I didn't even realize you know, I can say like, oh yeah, I have trauma. But not and be asleep to it. Mm. Okay, I can yeah. I, sure I have I have trauma. But do you really appreciate and have you sat still and th- and know what you're even freaking talking about yeah. with it? My answer was like, no, no not really. Mm. And it wasn't because I didn't want to. It, it just again, it's, the journey is the journey. And until I'll, I'll backtrack to what I said earlier, unfortunately, about this affair, and finally. Uh, being forced, the AA Big Book talks about being beaten into a state of reasonableness. Uh, okay, I'm going to be solitary. Once I willingly said, yes, I will experience being alone, that opened up some floodgates that I couldn't have possibly comprehended of trauma and unresolved adolescent issues and pain. And that's a good thing. <laughs> there are days where I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but here I, I really see I, I, this trauma work is significant. Uh, the ACE work, adult children of alcoholics, uh, inner child adolescent trauma, to me coincides very seamlessly with my sex and love addiction. It is the engine behind my behaviors. My adolescent trauma, and I've heard you say this on the podcast, and I agree 100%, I act out due to... Un- as a result of my my trauma, mm-hmm. okay? Um, yes, I've crossed the line and I am a sex and love addict and understanding everything there is to, I want to make this point, understanding everything there is to ever know about my trauma will never ever not make me an addict or be able to engage in some of this stuff safely and not compulsively. I don't buy that and that's not my goal. Um, <clears throat> but there, this is, for me, some key differences between... And maybe I shouldn't go there. Between S, my S recovery, and for example, just AA, uh, alcoholism is a, is a spiritual illness. 
Is my sex addiction a spiritual illness? Perhaps on some level, it certainly keeps me blocked from God. But my acting out always, and this is my truth, always, capital A, has a specific purpose. Mm. Okay? Some of the other fellowships talk about once you cross that line, it doesn't have to work that way anymore. It just is. Now, sure, there's some days where it's Wednesday and I have unstructured free time and I want to act out. I'm not saying that. But acting out is an effective tool. It, it, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, let me backtrack. I want to clarify. That guy on the podcast said acting <laughs> out. It, 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 it worked when I had no other tools. It is not today. And so it's always an option, always. Um, so let me, let me, again, thanks for listening at home. Uh, I believe every one of us, if we told our story, it would be time-consuming and amazing and, and valuable. Um, but I don't want to go on forever. So I'm adopted. Um, and it's important to, to get an idea of where I come from uh, to see how, un- unfortunately, it plays a role in, in my actions today as a grown man. My, uh, my mom, my mom and my dad, my mom came from, both my parents came from very, very sick, dysfunctional homes, okay? Uh, my mom's mom and dad were active alcoholics. Uh, my mom had two brothers. My mom was not wanted. She was the, gr- the girl. They wanted boys. They had two boys. Uh, my mom would tell me that my mom's a heavy set woman and that my grandpa would come home from the bar drunk and late at night and put on her clothes in her bedroom and dance around her room making fun of her mm. because of the way that they fit him. Mm. Uh, my mom is broken, traumatized, little girl, woman. Um, so here's where I see this. It's really cute when you do some therapy work and you're like, oh, I see it now. If only that made it easy. Okay, mm-hmm. here's... My mom's adolescence was so terrible, she decided, and she and I, my mom got sober, and we've had many conversations in adult life. So the things that I'm going to say are factual, okay? Uh, we, I, these, this is my story. My mom is a virgin. My mom and dad never had sex. These are my people. I would lead that with I would lead conversations at parties with that. That's a that's a hook. That's a punchline. Like, what? You're kidding. How can you be here? Well, I'm adopted. Okay. It's a true story. My mom wanted to adopt kids because in her own flawed thinking, this is marvels. I'm amazed at this. She's she thought that if babies were up for adoption, that meant that someone didn't want them. And she was gonna get these babies that no one wanted. And she was going to love them, just love the shit out of them because she wanted them. And, of course, the misguided attempt to heal her own wounds through adopting these kids. Okay, so I was acquired, and I believe that this was imprinted upon me early. This wasn't verbally taught to me, this instruction. I was acquired and exist to meet the needs of this woman. Mm. Okay, and I learned that really well. It's amazing what we learn. We're yeah. sharp. We pick this stuff up just as just through life. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't believe my dad wanted to marry my mom. 
This is the story as well. And I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. I have a lot of issues with my dad. My dad's passed away. Um, We grow up and and I hear a lot, like, I just want to be better than my parents. I don't want to turn out like my dad or, you know, my mom or whatever. And unfortunately, I see today through my therapy work that in spite of all of my best efforts in some ways, much to my dismay, I've turned out very much like my dad. I believe my dad was a love addict or a sex addict in that he could not say no to a woman, a powerful woman who was, he, he, he could not say no, the codependency, whatever the issues were. My mom told me the story. I said, well, how did, how did you get married? She said, well, in the state of Wisconsin at the time, you could not adopt children if you were a single parent. You had to be married. So she needed to be married. She needed to have a husband. And she set her sights on this sad sap. And she said... They worked at some automotive parts store. And she said she went up to him, and it was April, I think. And she said, hey, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You know, I don't know what the the transcript was, but it was pretty much like, this is is what's happening. And by November, they were married. Wow. Because, right, you know. Wow. That's probably not how you draw it up at home, kids. That doesn't sound healthy. (laughs) So my dad probably could not say no to a woman, okay, or maybe was captivated by a woman choosing him. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can't, again, because my dad's passed away, I'd love to talk to him. I I regret this. If you have questions today around your family of origin, I urge you to find the courage and, uh, and have the tough talks because someday you won't have that opportunity. Um, they were married for 10 years. They should have never been married. Uh, no love was ever m- modeled in my home. Mm, physical yeah. warmth, physical attention. At no point did my dad ever smack my mom's butt or give her a kiss at the kitchen sink or hug or you know weep or anything. Uh, I have a lot of issues. My dad was not a masculine man. Uh, I have a lot of shame around my dad. He was not. He did not teach me how to throw a football. He did not. You know, we were just talking about doing some DIY projects in my home the other day. And my dad uh, had has no impact on today on the things that I do that I consider in a stereotypical way to be masculine. And I don't want to, you know, overly simplify it, but there are things like, oh, my little boy, when I change the oil in my car or when I put up drywall or, you know, mount a ceiling fan, I feel a special sense of pride. Um, and and what that forced me to do was look outside myself for for inaccurate, unrealistic, and inappropriate sources of healthy male role modelship, okay? Uh, because that was not my dad. I don't know, think that my dad wanted to have kids. I don't think he could say no, but he, my mom got some kids. I got a, an older brother who's also adopted. And for the record, I know that I cost more money than my brother did, and that's, <laughs> that's still a great source of pride for me. I'm kidding. Um, not about costing more money. But my dad was not emotionally present. And when my dad passed away, I grieved over not having anything to grieve. He, mm. was, just, he was just a guy. I can tell you, Panda, that I love you a thousand times more than I had any love for my dad. Mm. Uh, and that's sad. That's unfortunate. Um, I became my mom's emotional caretaker, my mom's surrogate husband. Uh, you know, there's a lot of literature out there, uh, covert incest. Um, 
my mom would want me to come into the bathroom while she was taking a bath and talk to me about her day and her stress over my dad um, and how he wasn't paying child support. But I want to back back up just a smidge. So my mom and dad never had sex. I found this out later. I said, Mom, like what did did dad masturbate? And she said, Oh yeah, he masturbate all the time. She would try to have sex with him, but he would reject her and uh, apparently masturbate all the time. So, again, I can't ask him about that. I don't know. Yeah. Um <clears throat> how that marriage came to an end though is is significant. I got a lot of trauma around that too. My dad uh, we had a, we had a family cottage, and one weekend, my my dad went to the cottage for the weekend, which I don't question as to why he went. I don't I don't remember that specifically, but I know he went there. And what ended up happening was that he had taken my brother, who is four years older than me. He had taken my brother's at that time his best friend to this cottage in secret and did not take any of us. My dad and this other boy went to our cottage for the weekend. And uh, <clears throat> how it was revealed was this boy's mom called my mom on Sunday afternoon perhaps and said, hey, what time is, you know, Les going to come home uh, with my son? And my mom was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm. Um, and I remember that night, uh, when he came home, uh, there was a big fight, uh, and my dad came up and, and he was crying and I remember crying, but not because I don't even think I knew why I was crying. I was crying because of, 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 I just knew it was something significant. I think that it was, it was the end. Um, but where the pain I see today there, uh, well, there's much pain, but think about this. A, a boy starving, literally starving to be loved by his dad. Notice me. Give me something. Give me something of you. Because that, and again, this is 10 years of this. Um, my mom was the alpha in the house. She was bipolar, manic depressive, sc screaming, rager, terrified of anger today. And my dad would just take it. But it, I had no connection to my dad. And... Again, if I could have a conversation with my dad today, it's how could you not how could you not be there for me? Why would you give yourself to this other boy when I'm your son? Yeah. There's a lot of pain there. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a, a little bit. My mom was convinced and terrified that my dad was had inappropriate relations with this boy. Um I can honestly sit here and today tell you, like, I don't believe that's the case. Here's what I believe. But again, because he's passed away, I can't confirm this. After my parents divorced, I would have to go and see my dad occasionally on, on the weekends. I don't think I ever enjoyed it, but I've always been a, a good son, a people pleaser, a caretaker. I will be whatever I need to be to be mm. liked, to, to not cause any – I fix problems. I am the, the ointment that makes it all okay, and I will sell myself out completely every time to make that happen. Um, so here I am, almost 50, and I'm like, who the hell am I? That's a tough question when you come up with the answer, like, I'm not even sure. Mm. Anyway, 
this is all the groundwork's being laid here. This boy came over and was around on the weekends. And one traumatic episode was, uh, I don't know, it was Friday night or Saturday night. And this boy was there. At this point, he was uh, probably a teenager, maybe 13 or something. And, uh, and I was about 11. And this boy was beating my dad up. I was in the kitchen and he was in the hallway and this boy was laughing and my dad was just getting pummeled by this kid. And I remember feeling so helpless and mm. uncomfortable, like, what the hell? And a lot of my shame is like, I wanted my dad to be, again, more badass. This sounds totally inappropriate, but I'm just going to say it. Sometimes I have had fantasies back in the day where I wanted my dad to turn around and look at my mom and say, bitch, shut the fuck up. Now, again, that's totally inappropriate, but so domineering, he just took it. He gave all power to women, and that's where I'm like my dad today. Mm. Not to that extent, but he just he sure. just took it, okay? And he's getting pummeled by this kid. So here— Was this like a— like actually pummeled or oh, yeah. was just like, oh, a, like no, he just was, playing around oh, he, was on his, he was on his back punching him in wow. the in the head in the back and the shoulders wow. and uh, it was so awkward i forget how my dad diffused it and did not fight back and got him out of there um but here's here's the i've been forced to to put this puzzle together but this is what i believe my dad remarried. He married a woman, uh, actually a very sweet woman. But this boy, this is why I believe my dad was a love addict. My dad also could not be alone. Mm. So after his marriage to my mom ended, I believe that this boy's mom had a connection with him. I'm not saying an affair. I don't know that my dad ever was physically in a, you know, betrayed my mom. But I believe that this woman was opportunistic and said, you know what? I think it'd be really great if you took my son to that cabin that you got. I firmly believe mm. that my dad said, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. How can I do that and be secretive and not get caught? He could not say no to her. He could not erect an abo a boundary in spite of the ob obvious inappropriateness and cons potential consequences of that. Okay. That boy was still around again after the, after they divorced because that woman was still around, and I think the impact that she had, he was just a dirty sponge taken in somebody who gave him attention. Yeah, I believe she played him in that sense. Um, <clears throat> he did not marry her, for the record. He married her sister, uh, who actually was a very sweet and kind woman who passed away from cancer, um, but. So, you know, I have no healthy, healthy male role models. I am my mom's husband. It is desperate. I, I am desperate to be my mom's favorite. Uh, my brother is older and acting out and fighting, and my mom is sad and crying all the time, and my mom is a closet alcoholic. She's drinking in the bathroom. She's falling down in the, in the living room drunk. I'm helping her up to bed, and it's all too much for me. And I don't, you know, it's easy when you have some therapy. Oh, I see that my attunement needs were not being met. Mm -hmm. I see today that in that environment, your needs, mom, were the most important. That me at 10 
or 11. How are you, Jeff? Are you okay? What do you need? You know, um, and, and of course, my, my mom, as I shared a little bit about her, was in no place to do that. Yeah. But th- this is this is where I'm living for other people. Okay. Um, my mom and I have this relationship, and in it, I feel a sense of security and value, and I'm stabilizing things. I make her stop crying. I crack a joke. I draw her a cartoon. Uh, whatever it is, I show up for her, and I'm living this way. And inside, I. I of course, I, I, I resent it, and I, I'm, I'm stuck. Mm. I'm stuck. That's a key phrase that I want to drive home, feeling stuck, and there's no way I can leave. I do not have a voice. I cannot say, Mom, this is where I stop, and this is where you begin. This, yeah. is, this is the line, and I matter, and I've had a tough day at school, or you know, whatever yeah. it is. So <clears throat> my mom went to treatment um, – she recognized that her drinking, she had a problem, um, which, which is great. And in an attempt to introduce me, my, mom, my brother had moved out of the house, uh, and he moved in with some friends. And uh, my mom enrolled me in basically in the state of Wisconsin, a, a program similar to Big Brothers and Big Sisters. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I draw well. At the time, I wanted to be a, a comic book artist, and uh, so much of my adolescence was spent in fantasy and mag- in mm. imagination. That was my refuge. Conan the Barbarian was my guy. I wanted to be like Conan. And I'm not talking Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I'm talking the comic book. He was decisive. He made a decision, and he didn't look back. He wasn't mealy. Mm. He wasn't wishy-washy. Wolverine, if anybody's actually like a comic book fan, like Logan, he's like an alpha man. He's decisive. Mm. He knows what he wants in the moment, in real time, and then takes actions accordingly. And why that's significant to me then and even still now is I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I second guess myself 10 million mm. times. Should I have done that? I don't know. He looked at me funny. I just said that comment and, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said You know, like everything is... I'm not sure of who I am and what I'm doing ever. You know what treats that? A woman saying, Jeff, you're awesome. Yeah. You know what mm, I'm saying? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm filling in with these, you know, John Wayne-esque, you know, Dirty Harry, whatever, these, these male role models. Um, my mom wants to get a healthy male role model presence in my life, which is great. I am introduced to this individual who's a retired commercial artist. Very talented guy, very talented guy. And he had wealth and means and resources. Uh, We were poor, and I knew it. I had immense shame about who I was even before I knew I was poor, before my parents were divorced. I had an overbite. I got glasses. This is a common theme. You'll hear it a billion times. Low self-esteem, low Mm self-worth, poor body image, on and on and on. Sucked my thumb till I was seven had bad frames in my glasses when I was in fourth grade. I was cool until then. And seriously, getting glasses was capital T trauma. Capital T trauma. That was it. My life was over. Of course, that's not true. But um, So this guy, uh, I, I, we were on food stamps uh, before this happened growing up. I'd go get government cheese, butter. I, I paid in supermarket lines with the, at the time they were paper bills, you know, and I knew, I knew we were different. I got volunteer Thanksgiving 
meals delivered to our house. And, and, and I understand the goodness of it, the intention, but I tell you what, to a kid, you know, you know what that means and there's nothing good about that. Yeah. That is not like, oh, put that on my gratitude list. Some yeah. strangers gave me a turkey. No, it is your life sucks. I got Christmas gifts that were donated and, and I don't, you know, judge my mom for, that's just part of the story. Like, oh my God, this individual, he taught me to bowl. We went bowling all the time. We went fishing all the time. Uh, things that I had never done. I had no opportunities to do these things. Uh, he taught me to draw, to ink, different, different, uh, this pencil, this, this, India ink, this one is waterproof, this isn't, color it this way, shade this way, stippling, cross-hatching, you know, whatever. Um, he had three other kids that he was involved with. His wife had passed away. He was retired. I think at the time he might have been like 68, an older guy. Um, so I was his fourth. And here's, here's what's interesting Long story short, I'll say this. It didn't happen, and I'm going to backtrack to it. This individual ended up sexually abusing me, okay? When I revealed that in therapy, the first person said, well, that's, that's why you're a sex addict. Or something along those lines, like yeah. that's where, oh, yeah, that's where the sex addiction came from. And to that, I can't stress this enough. No, it did not. I believe that my... Sex and love addiction. And again, that's just the lazy terms, folks. If you want to call it sex addiction, compulsive behavior, whatever that, I don't, I don't care. What it, when you know what it is when you got it. It is the byproduct of a perfect storm of conditions and ingredients that have germinated and sat just right under the perfect conditions to lead to this. Not one thing alone was like, okay. When I met this individual, I was dying to be loved. Mm. I was dying for attention, affection, time, validation. Notice me. Please fucking notice me. Love me. I would do anything. I didn't know that. I would do anything to get that love and keep it. This individual over time, and this is how this, this like this happens like gradual. Yeah. This is like, you know, the, like, uh, uh, he abused his power. Uh, I could not say no. That's another element that I walked into this dynamic with. I had no to, I could not assert myself. I was literally a black hole of nothing other than what you could reflect back for me as to what I might be. Uh, I knew I drew, I drew well, you know, a couple of little things, but anyway, over time, uh, the individual was like, ah, I want you to, you know, spend the weekend. I'd spend the night, Friday night, Saturday night. My mom thought it was great. Um, and it, it happened slowly and I hope this isn't inappropriate. I don't, I don't want to trigger anybody. Uh, but I've, I've talked a lot about it over the years. So it, it, it's fairly, it's part of my story. Mm -hmm, I, have, yeah. I have a comfort level with it. Um, the first time, and this is how it happens is like something inside your spidey sense, your radar is like, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Or at least this is my experience. Uh, but okay you know like mm -hmm. can't can't say no can't uh i took a shower and he wanted to dry me off he wanted to dry me off after the shower and it was like oh i'll dry you off you know um a lot of people's story includes like oh they found masturbation and they they masturbated 
I had never masturbated, ironically. I was 14 years old at this time. I had never masturbated ever. Um, the Over a period of time, I don't know. It, it was fairly rapid, but it wasn't the towel drying in that moment. Uh, hey, I'm going to masturbate you. But it, again, my ability to read signals and to just concede uh, mindlessly, like, oh, okay, Are you, and, hey, uh, you know, and, and this individual masturbated me for the first time. And I was like, okay. Um, I won't go into much more detail about that other than this. Here's an important part of my story related to sex addiction moving forward. Now, by this time, I had been exposed to pornography. I, so I, I knew what pornography was. I, I still had never masturbated, but I, I had uh, I had discovered pornography and where other people – other boys my age at the time, let's say 10, this is a humorous way. If you're a sex addict, you know what I'm talking about. Kids find it in the woods. They're like, oh, boobies, this is great. And then they end up going to leave and play like dodgeball or something. I leave the dodgeball game 30 minutes later and go back into the woods and steal it mm. and take it home. You know what I mean? Like I am yep. like, like this is spinal tap. This one goes to 11. <laughs> Pornography goes to 11 for me. Um, anyway, so when I was being sexually abused by this individual, this is, this is important. I didn't realize it at the time, but this is the fact. I, I didn't, I didn't like, I was betrayed by my body. I had an erection physiologically. I responded to this, but I had no power. I couldn't say no. Uh, you know, that detached sort of out of my body, but this is, this is something really cemented here. I could fantasize about being sexual with a popular or pretty girl in school with such force that it could supersede the reality that was all around me. Mm. And I didn't know that at the time, but that's, that's what I could do. So the power of, of imagination fantasy trumping reality and in, in, in allowing it in some sort of broken, lopsided way to be manageable. That's what pornography does. It allows me yeah. to deal with life on life's terms when life is really shitty. Absolutely. And, uh, and that, so there's immense power there and what the, what the mind can do. Um, and that went on for two years, uh, until I was in, and I, be, it was very important that I became his favorite, favorite, uh, out of the other three. I would spend the most time with him. I drew the most. Uh, I always went along with it. I never told anybody that secret. I was just in, in the, excuse me, the bargains that we make, uh, which is really tragic. Like, well, started with towel drying. I didn't really like that. Oh, okay. I mean, but he took me fishing today and we went to mm. Hardee's. And Hardee's, I like going to Hardee's because I don't have any money and I rarely eat out at fast food places. So like, okay, I'll go along with that. Two months later, it's, let me put, you know, talcum powder on you. That's really weird. I know something about this is weird. It's at a different level. But he bought me my own bowling ball and he gave me all these brushes and paints. I'll... I'll pay the next price. Yeah. You know, this isn't a logical, you know, this, this, there's no way an adolescent can make this kind of no. d decision, but it is a sacrificial bargaining of self to retain 
the connection slash love. Another thing this individual did that was very powerful was he would withhold love from me, which we know like in therapy is a tool of it's, it's very it's very abusive. Yeah. If I disappointed him, not even around this behavior, but just did something he did not like, he would give me the silent treatment for like a whole day. Wow. It was agonizing. It's, wow. It's terrible. It's terrible. I would do anything to reacquire his affection and felt so much warmth when he would finally like, oh, hey, Jeff, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's yeah. like, really tragic, really tragic stuff. So here you got this melting pot of, oh, it, it came to an end passively. Again, I'd love to be able to tell you, I, I went to therapy, I acquired empowerment and health and and was able to say, hey, no more. That's, that's not how that works. I got a job. Uh, my first job was at Hardee's. And I was 16. I worked. I, I, I think I say I worked a lot of hours. I don't think I did. But I used the, hey, I can't come over anymore. I got a job. And uh, so that, that essentially nullified that for the next two years, 16 to 18. We talk about progression in addiction. Uh, I had never kissed a girl until I was 16. I had never done dr- – that didn't lose my virginity until I was 17. And I think I did drugs maybe when I was 17 as well. I smoked pot. And, buddy, I got to tell you, I made up for lost time. <laughs> any, any, anyone that would do anything with me, I did. The woman, the young woman in high school I lost my virginity to. It's funny, a little tragic story. This is how I know I'm a sex addict. Not that this is uncommon, I'm sure, but she was drunk at a party at my house, and she was mad at her boyfriend. And I knew it, and I knew it. And she was like, I'm mad at him. I'm going to have sex with you. And I could not believe my good fortune. Wow. Uh. Now, I, I say that there's a little humor in there, but what it speaks to truly is a lack of self-love, self-worth, integrity, that I have value, that I'd, I would like this act to be with someone that I care about and who cares about me. And I did not. In this moment, she was going to give me something that I had considered to be like uber powerful and sacred, and I had arrived, like – you know, I am a desirable guy, yeah. I guess. Um, and I will dis- I will disregard all the evidence to the contrary that, no, she's only doing it to punish someone else. You know, like, no, yeah. I, I, our brains are amazing and yeah, scary. They are. One of my favorite expressions, write this down, kids. The human capacity for self-deception is limitless. Mm. The human capacity for self-deception is limitless. I did not come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I but I grapple with it every single day. How am I lying to myself? One of my favorite lines my sponsor said, well, no, I'm sorry, that's a lie. One of the lines my sponsor says to me very frequently that I don't love is, what's the truth and what's a lie, Jeff? What's the truth? And I'd love to tell you that that it's always obvious and evident. It's not. Sometimes I have to dig and behind five other things, ah, there it is. That's the truth. I am scared to death. You know, whatever. So um, 16 to 18, a lot of, lot of smoking pot, a lot of trying to sleep with anything and anything and making out with anybody uh, until my mom uh, found a pot pipe in my, my coat and asked me if I wanted to go to treatment. And strangely, I don't know if it was because I couldn't say no to her, but I said yes, and I'm glad I did. Really? Yeah, she, she my mom and I, we have a very confusing uh, mixed bag slash history but i never questioned that my mom loved me and and gave everything she could that i uh 
that I had a, you know, that I, she just did the best she could. We hear that yeah. a lot. And I know, and I know she did. And so when she found that, she was concerned about me. You know, she knew our history of addiction and, and whatnot. And, and I went and again, that was great. But I had no idea the depth of what I just got done sharing about my true issues are sex and love addiction. I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict. Absolutely. I drink to get drunk. I love getting high. It's addictively. Cigarettes, anything. But I tell people this today. This is just my truth. I'm not speaking for anybody else. If I take care of my business and my sex and love addiction recovery, that's essentially a non-factor. I'm not going to leave this studio and stop by that Casey's store and get a tall boy. Mm -hmm. I'm just not. And that's not because I have power today. Like God's removed that. That's not an issue. The dominoes will fall. It's not to say I can't. You and I have talked about this. I could pick up drugs and, and drink alcohol again. But I believe this with all my heart that before I do so, I will be flaming, raging off the rails in my sex and love addiction. Yep. And that will be the only solution short of like checking out entirely. So again, when I am sexually sober or on solid ground and in a reasonably good place, things are okay. So I don't hit a lot of AA meetings, although I love the AA big book and I love the AA program and I've hit a ton of them. It's a valuable resource in my program, but almost all of my efforts are in sex addiction recovery, 12-step recovery, trauma work related to my inner child and my trauma and my sex addiction recovery. Uh, and that that works well for me today. All of my friends today, um, almost all of them, every single one of them is is a sex and, sex and love addict. I got a few, seriously, a few that, that aren't, but by and large, and my life is not deficient in any way. It's freaking amazing and we have a good time we laugh a lot mm -hmm. we're crazy we're silly and we don't take ourselves too seriously when we struggle with this thing you know this like that's funny you're a crazy fucker yeah. you know we're like okay all right um there's there's a lot of laughs i insist that we have a good time uh there are days absolutely where i'm i'm broken and in tears and again i, I know people who have died from this i know people who have uh is it's gravely serious that that cannot be overstated um but there's great hope great relief great change great uh enthusiasm and, and excitement here i've seen people change that that goes beyond words that goes beyond description uh families restored i've seen people lose it all that you want you come to the fellowship and you're hoping like cool disney-esque i'm gonna get recovery and she's gonna stay yeah oh yeah oh you see that all the time absolutely all I'm, the time i'm gonna get sober and then she's gonna come back to me that may not be what god has in store for you but guys finding the real reason and losing that and still experiencing a life that's richer than what they could have imagined you know uh so I, it is it is a trip. You know, we hear often it's a it's a journey, not a destination. Yep. Amen. Um <clears throat> so my mom is is still alive. Uh I have done a lot of mom work and gone through a lot of resentments with her. And I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. 
this is this is the frustrating thing about recovery. It's the layers of the onion, right? I'm like, well, I've done this work. I've done workbooks around it. I've even had conversations with my mom. I've shared with her my feelings. I've cried. I've been angry. I've hit pillows or whatever it is. And that's been real and that's been valid work. And if you keep coming back and you get into deeper shit, you're like, ah, oh, wow, there's that again. I thought I was all done with that. No, I see today that I could... I recently ended a relationship with someone I was dating and it was incredibly difficult, mm. incredibly difficult to find that voice and say, hey, this isn't good for me. And I felt back to what I talked about in my story, that little boy, I felt stuck. Mm. I knew this woman loved me and I knew that if I left, even though it was my truth and what was good for me, it would hurt her. And I did not want to do that. And the stakes were so high, it felt like life and death. And people that don't get that are like, well, that's weird. People break up all the time. I was flipping out. My little boy was panicked, to say the least. And I kicked that can down the curb for months before I said, look, I got to yeah. tell you this because it's going to kill me. Back to losing my chemical sobriety, if I didn't take that action, and I knew this in my heart, that's the kind of thing I like, I have to honor my truth today. Duplicity is the number one offender. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I knew something was deeper at work as to why that was so hard. I couldn't, I, and, and through therapy, again, head knowledge is one thing. It was like my 10-year-old self could not find or did not have a voice to tell my mom Mom, no, I don't want this anymore. This isn't the arrangement that we're going to live under anymore. I'm not going to take on all your needs. I can't fix your problems. Of course I couldn't. I didn't have that voice. And this was comparable. I'm almost, I'm 49 years old. And I did it, but I felt like I could not say to this individual, I'm not going to do this anymore. I wanted to qualify it. I wanted to almost ask her permission. In fact, here's a humorous story. I don't know if I, I probably did tell you this. Before it finally happened, like a month preceding it, I called her up with every intention of ending this relationship for me. And 30 minutes later, the phone call ended and we were on a break. <laughs> Like, like it wasn't it wasn't broke up, but it was like I settled for that. Uh, this individual was like, "Well, I hear you, and why don't we just take some time? I, you know, you work on you." And mm. and I'm laughing now because I, I, you know, the healthy correct, you know, I ask you sometimes like, "Well, what does sobriety look like yeah. there, Alex?" Or what would a healthy person do? Yeah. Right. In that moment, all I could muster, like my dad, was, oh, oh, "Okay, that's all right." And then hate myself for why did you not speak your truth, Jeff? My yeah. ability to parent myself, to show up and have my own back as a loving adult and say, I know you're scared, Jeffy, but we got this. You know this isn't good for you and we're going to be okay. That's so much easier said than done, but the effort is, is worthwhile. You know, and I finally got there. It, it took me like four tries. but <laughs> um, And then I get to go through withdrawal and feel yeah. – uh, oh, nobody loves me. That nobody. uncomfortability, that that honey with fire ants all over you yeah. again. 
I can tell you, thankfully, that those aren't the days anymore. It, the, the volume level has decreased. The intensity level has, has lessened. And I can sit in my house quietly all by myself. I'm telling you, for those that can relate to this, the, the silence was deafening and unbearable. I, I had to act out. I, I understand why people like this. Is, I, I am going to short circuit this. Yeah. It, it remains an option. I know the thing mm-hmm. that is immediate, potent, and we'll, and we'll stop this because I don't know anything else that will effectively treat it. Um, that's not the case, but the immediacy is the key. Recovery actions do work, but it's that slow and steady wins the race. Yep. I don't want to eat my salad. I don't want to eat my green beans. I don't care about my blood sugar and my cholesterol. I want this bowl of cotton candy right mm-hmm. the fuck now. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that is very toddler-esque. It's very immature, of course. So um, I forget what my point was with that. It was eating, I got sidetracked on eating the food. Oh, sitting sitting more comfortably today. I'm 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 comfortable in my own skin. I can't say I love myself every day, but I'm I'm okay with myself. Yeah. Some days, some moments, I actually receive the love from other people. I I have no question that I'm loved by other people. At times, it's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm you and I have talked about this, where the heat is actually it will make me I want to flinch and step away from it because I I don't know how to handle that. Um, but I'm okay in my own being, and and for where I'm at, it's taken me 15 years to sure. do this work. <laughs> This seems a little random, but here's the point for me. People come into the fellowship often, my experience is, in relationships. They're married or they have a girlfriend, okay? That's just kind of like the fact. Now, in no way are we ever going to say like, hey, as part of the requirement, you need to separate from that person for a while and experience what comes up with that, right? So you you do the deal and it's Mm -hmm. good. I didn't know this until I went through it. But if you've never been single, and maybe there are people in recovery today who have have properly and soberly and maturely gone through that, so this doesn't apply. You can tune out right now. I had been in recovery 15 years, and I had never been single, so I had no idea what was going to come up when I was under those conditions. But it was with me the whole time, and I was asleep to it. And again, this is, you and I talk about this. I struggle with this. We cannot see the things that we cannot see. You cannot will yourself to have greater awareness than you have right this moment. Because if you could, you would. You are awake as much as you are right now. And until God or circumstances or, how, or God, if you, however you want to define that, says, wow, take a look at this, and you're ready to see this. You're like, holy shit, wow. And then it's discouraging. Then you got to go through that whole process like, oh, my God. I tell you this, there are some days that I feel as messed up, sick, dysfunctional, whatever kind of generic little lazy term you want to use, as the day I walked in here. And that can be a very heavy, discouraging sensation. Yeah, like, absolutely. Oh my God, yeah. what am mm-hmm. I doing? You know, like I went to treatment. How could I act out? Yeah. That's what, I've been in S recovery with willingness for 15 years. How can I be so crazy? Well, a, you can. Yeah. <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> absolutely. Join the club, yeah, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Um, but that's not the truth. Again, you know, back to what's the truth and what's a lie. Yeah. I'm not as crazy. 
Um, if I judge the success of my recovery based upon uh, this this black and white sort of I've been sober this long, which I no longer do, um, you know, that's a fool's errand. Part of my anxiety today, we talked before the show coming in, I, I felt a lot of anxiety coming on here. And and I could even see like, what's up with that, Jeff? Why are you so anxious? I, I'm a performer. I act. I've been on stage in front of hundreds of people. Um, so I'm definitely not afraid to to put myself out there. I'm an extrovert. The 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 need that little boy neediness, knowing intellectually that this is listened to by strangers that don't know me. Okay, mm-hmm. and this is why it's important. I think that we look at what am, what am I still operating with in recovery? What 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 are my dysfunctions in recovery that are still at the steering wheel? Yeah. I want you to think I'm amazing. I want you to I want you to love me. Okay, back to this little boy that I just got done telling the whole story about. If I give a good talk here and you believe or know, yeah, that Jeff guy, he's got a good program. He knows what he's talking about. He's solid. He said something helpful or really funny or insightful, whatever. That sense of urgency is like that little boy was like, oh, my God, I I, want to say those kind of things because I want the gold star in recovery. How different is that? Here's the question. I want the woman to love me out here. Mm-hmm. I want the gold star in recovery by giving a good talk on this podcast. They're they're different, but they're not. This, this is what I still bring to the party. And it operates daily. And I'm grateful today. I, a, I'm in a fellowship. A, I have tools. I have awareness. The gift of willingness, I can't stress that enough. It's a gift. To even see this and be like, oh, we talked before the show. I was critical and I, I was struggling with what I thought was ego because I do believe that whatever is being said here today, like God is involved. Yeah. Okay. But there's this little whispering voice that's like, and Jeff too. Jeff said some great shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And I say that right now, as we talked about, because I found a little bit of tolerance and love because I saw it. Sometimes through my AA lenses, I can be like, Selfishness and self-centeredness, that is the root of my troubles. And I am selfish by wanting to talk awesome on this podcast and be revered as some sort of recovery god. Jeff, that's not good. You're not better than God. Get out of the way. Let God talk. And I was struggling with that. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was back and forth, back and forth. And I realized, and I think this is important, wait a minute. It's different than that. What it is, it is still that little boy that's dying to fit in, dying to be loved, and wants to be accepted, and, and feels, this isn't the truth, that in order to be loved, he has to execute, perform, hustle, convince, act, deliver the goods, always, or else what? Fill in the blank. Mm. Even in this podcast at mm. 49 with sobriety, sponsoring people, having a sponsor. And when I could see it like that, it's still there. But I was like, oh, okay, little guy, yeah. yeah. It wasn't like, quit being selfish. Yeah. This, this, the critical parent, yeah. I talked to myself in this critical parent like, what, make that go away, stop it, quit yeah. being so. If you were really sober, you'd be selfless. 
Mm. Well, guess what, fucker? I guess I'm not really so. You know what I mean? Like it's like yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Keep coming back. All right, my little boy's needy and wants to be loved. Yeah. Um, and it just changed the energy around it when I could see it that way. Um, I talked to a friend on the drive over here, and and yes, acknowledging there's an immaturity that so much. You know, there's concepts out there of, of emotional sobriety or emotional maturity, which I think we grow toward. Um, but I think this inner child healing the trauma work and parenting myself, uh, is, is, as actually that with just some different language, different titles, um, as I grow up and be myself in real time, all those, it gets a little psycho babble. Uh, like you got your, your inner child, your inner, yeah. you know, teen, inner yeah. young adult, all these things, they're all Jeff, of course, mm-hmm. and I'm responsible for all of them, but they all at times get to the podium and, and have different needs and, and demands. But there's an immaturity to all of them, and that is they want immediate needs met. Um, and as I continue to grow and see that in real time with gentleness and tenderness, like, oh, yeah, okay, uh, all right, yeah, it's all. And I, and I wish it was easier. I wish, like, you know, I tell everybody at home, well, read chapter five of this book, <laughs> or, you know, or cha- yeah, right, whatever, and right. d- three, you know, take this vitamin and uh, – and, and and all that's going to be super easy. Great, keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. That's probably going to be the name of the episode. Keep coming keep, back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Wow, Jeff, man, dude, thank you so much, man. I I really appreciate you just sharing all of that. There's there's definitely some things in there that that I didn't know um, about your story, and man, that just you know I know you've been in recovery a long time, and I know that you know you've you you know you're a lot of other people know your story and like you you mentioned you've kind of talked about a lot of this stuff a, a lot but i know that there's a different kind of there's a different kind of vulnerability coming in here putting this out there not knowing who's going to listen to it if anybody's going to listen to it or you know well there's people that's going to listen to this that's never going to meet me that are going to make an assumption of me from hearing about this um and that just that takes a certain type of courage to come out here and and to and to do this, and I just I really appreciate you coming in and dude, just sharing what you shared, man. I Thank appreciate you. it, man. I'm glad you had me out here. I yeah, man. This was this was great, and it just again the more perspectives that I can give to other people other than my own, you know, that's what this is all about. This is a platform not only for me, but it's for other people to come on here and share their strength, hope, and experience. And I think that you know your story, you you hit every single one of those things. And that's and that's the goal, right? And that's the goal, and that's to share it, and to be of service to somebody else, and you know, take what you want, and leave the rest. Um, and so I just, I, that was awesome, man. Thanks, brother. Thank I you. appreciate it. Thank Pre- you for coming in, man. Well, I definitely want to have you back on again. And yeah, again, thank you. I I can't I can't thank you enough. You know. Everybody that comes on is just so special to me, no matter if you're a regular guy, if you're a therapist, it doesn't matter. You guys are all, everyone who wants to come on here and share their story is, I just think it's so awesome because the goal of all this is just to try to change the conversation around sexual addiction mm-hmm. and, and love addiction and porn addiction and, hey, this is a problem. This is a problem that a lot that affects a lot of people. Amen. And it's so stigmatized and looked down upon. And it's like, I, I want to be celebrated, you know. And, and watch what how I say this, but like, 
you know, I want to be able to go and tell somebody that I am in recovery for sex addiction. And I want that to be a celebrated, not only for me, but also for all the other people that are in this recovery, because it is so, it's so secretive. It feels like at times. And I just, I want people to be celebrated. This recovery is celebrated. Yes, we've done bad things. We have hurt people. But you know what? We're different people because of this program. Amen. And that we are moving forward so that we don't make those same mistakes and don't hurt those any anybody new who wants to come into our lives. And I think that, I mean, that's huge. Working on yourself despite an urge to do something else, it's badass, man. But so badass. It's badass. It is man. pandemonium. It is pandemonium. I had to work that in there. I had to work that in there. I mean, you're right. Change is possible. People it change. Really is. People change. I don't I don't have to do the things that once upon a time I had to do. Yeah. People don't understand. Well, you didn't have to do that. No, when you're in the grip of this thing. You don't I, see any other way out. You have to do it. Yeah. I just, I'm powerless to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you're not responsible. But it 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 it's very much that case. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yep. Man, again, thank you, Jeff. I just want to thank Jeff one more time for for taking the time to come in, and it's just it was it was awesome that you know he was kind of my first in person guest. Um, you know, kind of like meetings. You know, they're. There's a there's a certain power to, you know, sharing a physical space with somebody else and, and having these conversations and and listening to their stories that, um, you know, as much as I like the Zoom the Zoom meetings and and the Zoom interviews, you know, we're going to continue to do those because I, I want to continue to get guys on. It just it was kind of cool to have this first experience with him of all people getting to have my sponsor come in, sit down with me and talk. Um, that was. Um, that was awesome. I really hope that you guys enjoyed that and, and got some stuff out of his story. Um, he's been in recovery a long time, so um, very wise. Uh, so just very grateful to have him come in uh, and share his story. And, and speaking of sharing stories, you know, if anybody out there wants to come on and share their story, you know, please feel free to email me, uh, nolionshere at gmail.com. Uh, you can also email bigpanda at nolionshere.com. And while you guys are online using email and things like that, go ahead and check out the website. Uh, the website's nolionshere.com. Again, that's nolionshere.com. Um, you know, we've got some, we've got some forums that people can add to. There's also find a meeting on there. Um, and we're going to continue to kind of update the resources as, as time move on. You know, I'm still kind of learning how to kind of use all of this stuff. So it's definitely a learning process for me and, and the guys that I got helping me. So, um, but it, but it's all out there again, no lions at gmail.com, big panda and no lions.com. And the website is no lions here.com. Um, got some, got some more guests coming on in the near future. Uh, probably do a solo episode here. Um, pretty soon as well. Just giving you guys an update on where I'm at actually the other day, um, uh, October 1st, I hit one year sobriety from alcohol. Um, and I'm really, really proud of myself for that. And that feels really good. And as it stands right now, I'm about 30, 37 days sober from inner circle activities. Um, so I feel really good with where I'm at. So I'm just going to continue to kind of 
Again, get guys on, and uh, I'll definitely be sharing a solo episode here in the new future. So before then, guys, again, go check out the website, nolionshere.com, nolionshere.com. I hope everybody's safe and well, and we'll talk to you next time. 